This podcast is brought to you by Benjamin, a workflow automation engine that allows advisors to focus on their clients rather than data management. Learn more at getbenjamin.com. On this episode of Bridging the Gap, I'm joined by the CEO of Bill Good Marketing, Franz Widmeyer. Franz and I start the conversation by traveling back in time and discussing nothing better than the floppy disk. We then jump into staying up with current technologies, the importance of finding your niche, and he gives me some LinkedIn do's and don'ts to up engagement. This is something that we can all learn from to get our brand out there. We also dive into what makes your CRM powerful and valuable to you and your firm. This was a conversation that opened my eyes from a technology standpoint, from a marketing standpoint, and just was filled with immense wisdom and knowledge. Thanks for joining me, friends. Let's get into our conversation. This is Bridging the Gap with your host, Matt Reiner. Franz Widmeyer, Bill Good Marketing. Welcome to Bridging the Gap all the way from Salt Lake City, Utah. How are you doing, my friend? I'm doing good, Matt. How are you? I can't complain, man. Things are good. Things are good. Got two feet on the ground, as I always say. So uh, life is uh, is treating me just fine. And on your side, I mean, how, you know, life good, business good. I mean, the world's a crazy world these days. How's uh, how's business treating you these days? Business is good. I, I think that we probably picked the worst possible time to launch a software platform with the amount of money it takes to develop and stuff like that. But we are doing well. Our clients are doing well. I guess it's just business as usual, right? You navigate what you need to and kind of continue going from there. Yeah, that, that's the mentality, right? I mean, it's always hard to... You just got to push through, right? You got to keep pushing through. All right. So Franz, I always like to learn about everybody's journey, right? So I mean, getting into Bill Good Marketing, starting this this company, I mean, was this kind of where you wanted to be from day one? I always ask people two questions here at the outset, right? What what, what was the 13-year-old Franz's dream job at that point? And then how did you get to now running Bill Good Marketing? What is that journey? But I mean, I don't see, I don't think it was kind of on your wall uh, at 13 years old of starting Bill Good Marketing, but tell us what you wanted to be when you're 13 and then tell us about your journey to get to here today. Okay. So when I was 13, I think that I wanted to be a NASCAR pilot who also flew jets. Days of Thunder and Top Gun. <laughs> I think those are probably my influences. Um, I was also, when I when I was younger, I was actually, uh, I, I, I was born and raised in Los Angeles. So I was doing acting back then too. And I, I guess I kind of wanted to, to be in movies and stuff like that. My, I was completely unaware of anything having to do with business or entrepreneurship or anything like that. I was actually very unaware of the fact that my dad uh, was a small business owner and sort of a, a serial entrepreneur from that side of things. I think back in the in the 80s, entrepreneur wasn't really a term and it wasn't classified as it is now. Back then, it was just like doing what you had to do to survive, whereas where we've evolved to over the last I'm going to say 40 years, 30 years. I forget I'm 42. So I sometimes <laughs> when I actually have to face the fact of, of I'm not 20 anymore, it, it, it takes me a little while to, to work through it. But kind of moving backwards from there, you know, acting and, and stuff like that. I just, I really liked, I guess, talking and I was very interested in things and in, in people. I naturally kind of like to organize things and organize people and get them to do things. 
And that kind of first showed in that sense where it was like doing school plays or something like that, you know, leading, leading the neighborhood kids to go off onto adventure. It was always kind of like had this, uh, I, this desire to create things. And I, and I don't know if that was like an inherent thing later on in life, learning about my, my dad's journey. I'm actually a first generation American. My dad was born in Haiti. Hmm. Um, and he has his own interesting journey, but he was born in poverty, realistically, and his dad was like this aristocrat in Port-au-Prince, his mom being a Haitian woman. He had his own journey through struggles and figuring out what he wanted to do and got into business and ran his dad's business for a while. And then when he was 18, he left, went to Miami as an 18-year-old immigrant, and you know he could, he could probably have his own TV series about what, what he did to get to where he was at. So I think there's just always been that sort of entrepreneurial spirit doing what you need to do that kind of led me to where I'm at now. I mean, obviously, I've done a lot of things before I got here, but that's sort of the the gist of the early life, I guess. That's incredible. I mean, I I think that that journey from Haiti over to the States, I think that just instills something into people, right? Like a a Mm -hmm. passion just to to fight and push through and do it whatever it needs to at all costs. And it's a it's a different type of mentality. I think, how has that helped inspire you? Because I mean, moving from COO to now you're the CEO for the past, call it 19 months or so of Bill Good Marketing. I mean, you've had to have that mentality. How has that helped you, especially you know, running this business in this difficult period of time, right? Through a pandemic, it's just been a challenge with you know managing people, managing clients. How has kind of your upbringing and some of those lessons you've learned from your dad and from just like that fighter mentality and just continuing to push through helped you in these recent times in your leadership role that you've had at Bill Good Marketing? I think that it, it comes down to, I think what, what anyone is driven by is just a, a passion or a mission or a goal that is outside of just financial gain. I think financial gain is the end result of doing good work, good strategy, having something that people actually want and that's beneficial to them. And I think that it's it's really looking at the opportunity and looking where things need to go. Bilgen Marketing's been around for a long time and, and we've always done great things. And I think that the opportunity here was as advisors are transitioning out of their businesses, uh, Bill Good helped build the modern practice over the last 40 years. And even with that, it's there's a transition, right? If you look at how financial advisors have been were managing their businesses, the type of marketing they were doing 10 years ago, there are still some staples that are being done, but it's vastly different now. Now we're looking at what is a modern tech stack for an advisor? What does he need to do? What does he need to be aware of? And it was kind of a natural progression of what it is that that we need to do and the team that we need to build and the type of people that we need to have to be able to accomplish that mission. And I think that navigating the, the climate is, as a business, we've been through several recessions. We've been through several uh, market crashes. We've been through, we've been through a lot. And on the same time, uh, our clients have been through a lot. So we kind of navigate that together. And I think that Outside of what I've done to get to where I'm at, I think the business has done a lot to, to maintain where it's at. 
You know, that's, it's, a, it's interesting that you say that, right? So, so Bill Good Marketing kind of started 40 years ago. It's evolved. The industry has changed drastically, I, I would say, over 40 years. And I, I'm curious. I mean, I even say just over like the past 20 years, the industry has changed pretty drastically. I mean, this idea of the word tech stack, I think like if you asked an advisor that back in 2002, they'd, they'd have called you crazy. Like, what the heck is that? They don't know what that is. How have y'all seen from your perspective like just look maybe 10 years back or 15 years back, the, the evolutions of this industry and how you've had to help advisors differently today than you did 15 years ago. I mean, I'm sure that you're like how you just talked about how you've had to adapt. I'm just curious how you've had to do that. What are some of those you know specifics? So we've been in the software game, the software side of these things since early 2000. And I think before we relaunched our cloud version of our CRM Gorilla 5, uh, Gorilla 4 was the last version that we had released. And that was 2008, right around when that when that market upheaval occurred. And back then, the struggle was getting people to do mass email. So, mm-hmm. I mean, you're talking like back then, if you think about it, when we sold a piece of software, we sent disks out to their, the advisor's office and they installed it on a machine. Ten years before that, we had advisors coming out for training because one of the one of the things that we did, which is really difficult to do now, which was ridiculously beneficial, is that the advisor and their team came out to our, our office in 2007. When I had met Bill, our team was 130 employees, vastly different now. Like now we're at like 30, but I went into a room where we did training. There were 50 advisors in that room. And they, some of them had laptops, somebody actually, some of them had their desktops with their monitors on their desk because we were training them intensively how to use software. We had to create a role in the office called a computer operator because that person's job was to learn the software. And in order to free up the time of the advisor, especially since there were a lot of guys back then that couldn't type fast. So Hmm. this other person would type up the notes and would run the processes in the software. So let's say that that's 20 years ago, right? Now you're dead if you can't use a computer. And now we're heading in the direction of conversational AI, right? We have it on our phones, we have it in our house. Well, Matt, like two, three years from now, that's, that's going to be a must have for even software because of the intent of what a person wants to accomplish needs to be understood by that application. I, I personally think so. Our our core platform is a CRM and we have a bunch of human driven technology through consulting that we offer. And there's a marriage of that. I know like you you have a group that you, that you guys sit down with and you guys talk about strategies and ideas and stuff like that. We have a similar thing. However, it's it's built off of like 130 best practices that we've accumulated over 30 years or 40 yeah. ish years. Yeah. You know, it's interesting that you bring up conversational AI. I want to go down this this kind of rabbit hole for a second because I, I think it's something interesting. And you talk about, you know, the disks, right? People having disks to, you had to ship out disks to load the software. I mean, I remember like AOL where you get the, the CD with 500 free minutes and you upload it and you get to aim, you know, AOL Instant Messenger for 300 minutes. And and it's, it's drastically revolutionized and it's moved faster than it's ever have. And you just talk about conversational AI and you're like, it just really got introduced a couple of years ago. And now we're saying that probably in two or three years, which I agree with you, is like, it's going to be a necessity. I think that's what fear, that, that's what drives a lot of fears from advisors is like how fast technology is going and being able to keep up with it. 
from y'all's standpoint, because y'all are a technology company, you serve advisors, how do you help them stay up with such quick advancements of technology that they have to learn it. Like that's not their business. They have to keep up with the economy and the markets and planning and new regulation. And now they have to keep up with technology. It just seems like it's a a lot. It's exponentially growing, which is going to continue, which is a scary thing, I think, for advisors. So how do y'all help them? So I think it comes down to, there's obviously different stages of your career, right? Where you're at. And then there's also within that, there's a marketing term called persona. A persona is just an identity. And it's like, you know what you're, what, what you're scared of, what you're capable of, what your dreams of. And you, you, you build software to personas and you build marketing to personas. And realistically, getting in and like understanding personas will also help you understand your client base. So now that you have that idea in mind, like a persona is basically an individual and you're, you're generalizing things, but it really helps you focus. And what we've always done is we've always just done intense training. And the Build Good Marketing system and what Build Good Marketing sells, it involves that training. So as we continue to move towards a CRM company in itself, because that's something that we will be doing soon, where a person can just use our CRM without having to be on our growth system or a practice management system, it's going to be a, a more difficult task. Because you have different people that have different awarenesses of technology, different levels of engagement with it. Whereas you have maybe, let's say, somebody that's just getting into the industry straight out of college, maybe much more like mobile enhanced rather than computational on a computer. And you have this wide gap of people in the middle that are pretty good with both. So I think it really, for us, it's always been that intense training in the beginning. And then some of the ways that we've solved it also, depending on where you're at in your career, is having somebody on the team that does it for you. And having that person wrap themselves around your own, not like, not like fault or failures, but the things that you're not able to really do. We have a huge percentage of our client base that still have somebody in their office that gives the advisor that, that paper calendar for the day. And that's totally fine. That's what you need to do your job. Well, that's then you have that person cater to you that way. But I think that as time goes on and as more of the industry catches up, we're going to see more opportunities to interact with advisors and their team members through software in a way that's easier for them to understand. And that's that's why I'm, I'm excited about conversational AI, not from the sense of, well, you know, the thing is listening to me or it's tracking me with advertisements and stuff like that. I think we've gone past that as being a non-normal thing, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. I, think, I don't think it's going to go away. Yeah, no, I agree with that. And I, I want to switch gears a little bit because you're talking. Um, one of the biggest challenges with with firms is is technology is one right keeping up with technology, but it's also growth, right? I talk to many advisors and they they just say I need help growing, yeah. and and I know that y'all do a lot with kind of talking about sales and marketing and personal relationships with clients. And you brought up personas and that kind of goes down that avenue of like find a niche and go down that mm-hmm. and be really deep with that and grow there. How, how, you know, what are you seeing as, you know, when you look at advisors and you talk with advisors and you, you work with them, why do you see them struggle so much with growth, right? Why, why do they struggle so much on the sales and marketing side in, in their business? And, and how, how have you all helped them, you know, really grow that and, and grow their, their business through client relations and marketing and sales training? Yeah, that's a really good question. And I think that we, when we start working with somebody, or even when we're having a conversation with them, 
just even qualifying them, right, for a prospect for ourselves. I think that a lot of times they just don't know what to do. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's like, well, I've tried this and I've tried that and it didn't work out. And what I've found in some situations is that a person got bad advice or they weren't properly prepared or they didn't really have enough follow through or they didn't really get the kind of help that they should have gotten. When you look at the washout rate of advisors coming into the industry, it's extremely high because nobody really provides any sort of training on what is sales, how to sell, how to communicate, how do you build a list, where do you find people? And I think that a lot of times that the the people that we run into that are earlier in their journey, they don't understand the amount of actual effort it takes to become a financial advisor and to succeed. Mm. And the guys that we've been working with for 30 years, they came into this industry and they had to bust their ass and they were picking up phone books and they were just cold calling all day long. And that's how they did it, which doesn't mean that's the same way that a new guy that's coming on the team is going to do it. It's different. You can't force a guy to do that. It's not going to work. But there are strategies like, for example, account-based sales, right? You 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 look at, it, it's part of what you're saying before is like you find a niche. So a niche could be a niche based off of your, your book of business or the senior advisor's book of business or even just doing some research and finding out, well, what is this particular company? What does their 401k plan have? You know, what are some of the, what are some of the things that I noticed that I could do to help these guys better? And then doing that research and then getting a list of the people that work at that business, cold call those guys, right? So it's not that that particular strategy doesn't work. It just doesn't work the same way it did. And then understanding that just the same way when you, when, I mean, if, if you look up like what startups do, the amount of effort that it takes to launch a software platform, it's, it's a lot of work. It's a similar thing here. We also see in larger firms where there are new, new people bringing, coming on board where they're, what they're being done, what they're being told to do or what, what's being given to them is they become a servicing advisor, but again, are not taught how to sell. And what happens there is that then what you're doing is you're creating an environment where an advisor is being given everything and he doesn't then have to actually do anything to grow his book of business. So then what you have is that you have then a shrinking book of business if you're not doing any client client marketing. Yeah, I mean, I think there's two things there that I want to dig into, two points that you made because that's really well said and articulated is the first one is, is about how the strategies, I kind of wrote down that strategies are similar in terms of sales, but they're different. And what I mean yeah. by that is that, you know, we're not going to go, we're not, there, you can't expect someone to go get a, a yellow book nowadays and just start cold calling through it. But the beauty is, is that we have now more options, right? You can use LinkedIn Sales Navigator, you can use LinkedIn, you can use Facebook and get the, if you know the company you're going after, then you can get information on them and connect with them in multiple ways and multiple channels along with cold calling. But it's the same strategy. You still have to grind and pound yeah. the pavement, right? And and I mean, in your mind, have you seen like, it's a matter of using omni-channel, right? Is it, is, mm-hmm. Have you seen omni-channel work effectively? And, and what channels work well together, right? Is it calling, emailing, social media, how does that combination work? So some of the younger advisors that listen to this podcast, maybe it inspires them to like go and learn and use the tools that they have. 
Yeah. So it's, uh, it's, I, I definitely believe if you have the capability to have an omni-channel campaign, it is better to do it that way. Because if you look at, if you look at the way that huge, the movie industry, when they launch a new film, what are they doing? They're saturating you with it on every single communication channel they can. Now, obviously that's a big budget, right? But when you're looking at a reduced budget, you can go and if you spend the amount, of, if you spend a good amount of time, like we we're just talking about doing some research and let's use the sort of cold calling LinkedIn, cold, you know, introduction, cold email type thing, which all of us get these days, you can create an omni-channel campaign without a lot of money. And I, and I say that because you can go and you can get a program to prospect through LinkedIn and it's 50 bucks a month, right? Mm-hmm. You don't have to pay a thousand dollars to a service to do it. You can then go and spend a little bit of time and build your own website. That website you can then put, you can use like Facebook pixel or you can use any other type of tracking cookie to then track when that individual has arrived at that site. You can piece these things together on your own if, if you're hungry enough. And those are low cost things that you can do. It's just so when you start looking at it going, man, I have to use this company to do this thing. And I have to use this other company over here to do this. And then you're $4,000 a month deep into trying to create leads. Yeah, it's going to be expensive. But if you are, I'll give you a good example of something you can do. You can do LinkedIn requests. It'll take a while, but you build up a, a, a connection base, right? You then post things on LinkedIn, post things that you think about or something that you think is neat. Continue those connection requests. And then when things look at what people are focusing on and you can, you know what they're focusing on because that's because the news is what's talking about it, right? But the news, their job is to make everything alarming. So you take that concept that's alarming, do some research on it and actually do a video about the facts about it to reduce the alarm. So what does that do is that then positions you as an expert and is actually providing a service to this individual who could have been alarmed and just do that for a while. Right. And you'll start getting engagement. People will start replying. LinkedIn as an algorithm will start promoting your stuff. And don't be afraid to then ask a person if, if they need help or if they need a second opinion about something. Those are just some, some low cost things you can do. Your only cost is in your time, really and can start building your own following that way. I love that. I, I mean, I wish that more people would look at what the news is and then go and post the facts as opposed to opinions, right? Like if we could do that, yep. then geez, wouldn't this be an, uh, an awesome spot? But I, I love that idea is see what's trending in your industry or in the industry of the people that you're serving, right? If you're going to mm-hmm. serve a niche, find the things that are in their industry and provide them insight and value. I, I love that. I, I want to touch on another point that you said a, a little bit ago uh, about the the challenge of the role of becoming a servicing advisor, how that has like kind of become the thing these days. And I, I've actually talked to many other guests and advisors about this is that there is a challenge because those servicing advisors are doing a great job. But we're now having this transition from Gen 1, which was the rainmaker who didn't wasn't a servicing advisor, to Gen 2. And that's where a lot of the, the growth challenges are happening. The challenge is that the servicing advisor makes sense if you have a rainmaker up top. The, and, it, and it makes sense for kind of different models. I, I guess from your experiences of what you've seen, Gen 1 to Gen 2 in those scenarios, many of those firms just sell because they're like, I don't know what else to do. Like, I got to sell. But is there... Have you found a way to inspire Gen 2 to become more sales-centric after being so service-centric for so long? 
Yeah, that's hard. It's hard because you don't want to do it in a way that seems like you're penalizing somebody, right? Because if you're in that position now, you've done a lot to, to set up that position to make it where this is the reality of what your job is. So it's going to depend primarily on the individual that you hired to, to do that job or who's doing that job. And then it depends on a few other things. So instead of going, like depending on the size of your book of business, how many households you're serving, you can implement more of strategic partner relationship type things. You could look at use leveraging your book of business right now. And we have, one of the things that we do is we, when we bring somebody on for the first time, if they're like at the 80 to, you know, 300 mil range, what we do is we first get them to really, and even 60 sometimes, we really get them to start focusing on client marketing first. And our definition of client marketing might be pretty different from a lot of other people. But what we see is that the majority of advisors are only really managing half of their household's investable assets. And, you know, it's getting better these days. If you can get all your clients to fill out, you know, their e-money and really get an idea of where all the actual outside assets are, um, you could theoretically through building great relationships and really communicating with them and becoming the family financial advisor. There's strategies to get to that point where they'll literally tell you, you know what, I'm not really hearing from this other guy over here. I'm just going to bring that other million dollars over to you. That's something that we do really well and and teach our clients to do really well. So you could have the advisor as a step one, start doing some of this. And if you have the right person, they'll go, man, that wasn't really that hard. I wonder what else can I do? Mm. So, and then on the flip side, you can go and you could say, and, 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 and realistically, there is plenty of room to become experts at specific aspects of your job. So what you can really do is you can say, all right, well, we're going to do, we're going to do a tax and income seminar six months from now, or we're going to do uh, you know, social security maximization, or we're going to, we're going to focus on one aspect of your job and every year you're going to become an expert at it. So the, the, the actual test of that is to do it in front of a, a group of people. And if you build the system to be able to take those people that showed up, have them come in for, for, for an interview after that or come in for an appointment, then you're naturally just getting the person to actually start prospecting. Yeah. But if you sit there and go, Billy, you're going to, you're going to go do a seminar and you're going to do this and pick up the phone. It's not going to work. Yeah. I, I love that idea of, Hey, go try to get more wallet share of current clients. That's a good starting. Like that's a like you're that's like you're taking the baby step from servicing better to try to get more assets. You're not really selling to then becoming an expert. I love that idea. I mean, I think it's like go dive into this. I want you to be my expert, and you can bring them into client meetings, and then they start mm-hmm. to get confidence. And it's like all right, let's go do a seminar and invite other people, invite our clients, tell them to invite prospects, and you're selling without selling. In theory, it's yeah. a soft sale. It's a value sale in, in that sense. I, I really like that. I, I want to touch on one thing before we close it up and I'll let you get back to, to running the business that you're doing so well is you know, we talk about, I want to transition back for a second back to CRM because you mentioned that y'all are working towards going and launching just a standalone CRM system from that standpoint, technology. I, I'm curious from your standpoint, from the idea of you've, you've built a CRM, now you're building it in the cloud, everything of that nature. What is a key differentiator of what, of a CRM, what makes a CRM 
powerful and valuable because I've always seen, and this has been a challenge in our industry, that CRMs are just used by advisors as expensive technological Rolodexes. Um, And so I'm curious from your standpoint of building it, what differentiates CRMs and what makes a good one great and other ones just okay? Okay. So right now, the majority of the CRMs that people are using are just a, a technological Rolodex. And it's for notes and activities. It's to put in things for compliance. And um, a graduated point from there would be to send out emails sometimes. And, you know, some people do some reminders and, and stuff like that. So the thing that, that, that I've noticed that really makes it shine and that we've been really heavily focusing on and that we've done really well over the last 25 years even is that the CRM is supposed to actually be the, if you look at your body, right, you have a brain, you have a mind, all this other stuff, you have all the nerves that connect everything. Without all those nerves, you would have no communication points back to your brain to tell you what was going on. And the the CRM, the actual capacity for it is to be that. And if you build it so that it integrates your business, that all of the components of your business are integrated, that everybody is aware of what's going on with all of your clients at every single point in time, that it does your marketing for you, that it doesn't allow things to fall through the cracks, that all of your service issues are observable and resolvable, then you're starting to work towards something that makes you money. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that. It's the uh, it's the idea of being like the connective tissue between everything that you have, right? Exactly. And it can be. It's just people don't know how to do it. Mm-hmm. So that's why I'm super excited about our commercial release for it. Our clients are already using our new CRM. But... The, the reason why I'm excited about it is because our platform comes out of the box with everything you need. All your marketing materials, all the business processes, all of our campaigns are included in it, like everything. So all you need to do is spend a few hours individually and as a team training on it. And then uh, the people that use our consulting, we work them through the usage of all of our stuff over a couple of, couple of years. And then they've got it. They're done. Their practice is smooth. I love it. I love it. Franz Wittemeyer, thanks, man. I, I really appreciate it. But before I let you go, I have to ask you my two questions I ask of all guests. Because part of the reason okay. I do these conversations is I'm a, I'm a lifelong learner. I love to learn in these conversations. I mean, I learned so much from you today. And one of the areas I love to learn is reading. And I love to read books from great people. So I'm curious. I always like to ask my guests, what's one book that you think everybody out there should read in the business world or just in life in general from your perspective? I would say uh, Lean Startup by Eric Ries. Um, you read it? I've read parts of it. I haven't read the whole thing, okay. but it's a great book. <laughs> the, the beginning is a little difficult because he's getting into like software and technology, right? But the entire concept is, is super simple and super powerful. The entire concept is if you have an idea about something, test it out before you go all in. And it, it's just a scientific method. You have, a, you have a, a, an assumption you validate that assumption and move forward as you continue to validate it. And, but the other side of it is like, if it's working, don't stop. And I think in this industry, you know, we have a saying, it's like, it works so well, we stop doing it. So 
in that book, there's there's that whole validation, the ideation of something, and then how do you actually improve on it? it? It teaches you how to look and find a niche realistically, validate that that is actually a niche and that it's profitable for you, and then how to turn it into something you can actually do and repeat it and improve on it. Love it. That's why I love it. Love that book. And then this comes from, you know, I saw it at the Barron's conferences and I thought it was a great question. They ask all their guests at their panels. What's one piece of actual, actionable advice you think that our listeners should take away from our conversation here today? I think that, okay, so this has been like my kick recently. Listen to people when you're talking to them. That's it. Sit there and actually listen. If you have a thought that pops up in your mind and you want to like cut them off because you want to say something or enter, just stop, <laughs> pause and just listen, especially in a sales situation. There's so much that, that, that gets missed or points, you know, body behavior, stuff like that, that gets missed because you're not actively listening. Simple yet truly effective. And I think that to add to that, uh, which is something that I've been on a kick on is listen to hear, not to fix necessarily. Listen yeah. to hear, not to fix. And if you can do that, there's a lot of value there. And you know, Franz, I, I really appreciate this conversation. You're, you're a great mind in the industry and you're doing some great work for the, the industry as well. I'm sure there's many people out there that are listening to this podcast that are going to want to continue to follow you specifically and then also follow Bill Good Marketing. What's the best way for people to follow what you're doing, what your team's doing and stay in touch? Um, they can go ahead and go to the website, click on like su- submitting to their blog. Uh, you can also follow me on LinkedIn. My Twitter account's my personal account, so it's not. <laughs> uh, but if you want to follow me there, you can too. But yeah, so it'd be great to connect. Great. Franz Widmeyer, I really appreciate your time, man. I know how, how valuable it is. So appreciate you spending it here with us on Bridging the Gap. And uh, let's stay in touch and best of luck as you continue to grow the business. Same to you. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of Bridging the Gap. Don't forget to give us a rating and let us know what you think. 